AT&T Threat Track is a roundtable discussion of the latest network security trends and news conducted by AT&T data security analysts. Complete video of this show is available at techchannel.att.com. So, John, I hear that there's a new uh, twist to this whole specter and meltdown story. So, yeah, there is a, a new attack out there um, that's very similar to the previous specter and meltdown uh, vulnerabilities that were uh, discovered, I guess it was sometime early this year. Uh, this one's called the Speculative Store Bypass uh, Vulnerability, SSB. It does impact both Intel and AMD processors, uh, just like the other ones did. It kind of takes advantage of some learning capabilities in the, the chip, so where it, you know, it caches stuff in memory to try to predict where you're trying to go. Um, there's a way that that can be sort of used against you. What it allows you to potentially do, if you're able to execute, is to arbitrarily read things from memory that you probably shouldn't be accessing or have privilege. To, to read out of memory. There are a few vectors that would be of concern, such as JavaScript is one um, vulnerability uh, with the just-in-time compiler that's in the JavaScript engine. Uh, so that's one potential exploit. And then the other one that they're concerned about is in virtual machine environments, cloud infrastructures, that they could escape the virtual machine down to the lower level and access other, potentially memory from other virtual machines that are cohabitating in the same cluster. And isn't there a configuration you can disable in the uh, processor to make sure this, to turn this off? Uh, I believe there is. Yeah. And from what I remember reading is that they actually generally don't recommend that you do that right now. Okay. Um, because it really takes a pretty significant performance hit, like a 25% something performance hit on execution. Um, and what they've been doing is trying to address the principal vectors where you could actually leverage this type of attack for the most part um, yeah. and try and address it there, as well as the, um, the chip vendors are going to come out with microcode fixes for their processors as well at some point in the future, which I don't think has happened yet, but um, that's going to be addressed there. So yeah, that, that whole patching of the chips is what's going to, you know, is actually the real fix, but it's going to be right. a long time. Right, I agree. Yeah, you know what I saw was interesting about this. You know, in software, where everybody's going to this machine learning and intelligence, and it, it looks to me like this is sort of a, a byproduct of that. That the vulnerability takes advantage of some predictive, you know, caching of information. You know, and we don't a lot of times think, oh, if, if we're building in learning capabilities into some of the software, well, maybe there's an avenue to trick that learning capability and take advantage of it. So you gotta really think of all the repercussions of, you know, the, the smarter we make these devices, you know, maybe that's not as secure. Right, it needs to be done securely, but this, the, the current Spectre meltdown vulnerabilities are leveraging, I guess they were doing kind of a predictive place where things would get loaded into memory. Right. And they would just try to do it there. And then if that wasn't the right place, once they got it in there, it would reload it anyway. But right. doing it in advance was kind of, um, because they kind of knew where to expect it to be, would give them like a performance advantage. Um, but it also introduced um, a possible path to exploit right. because of that. So, yeah. so I think uh, it's really interesting too that one of the stories I read Said that there's already a variant five and six probably you know that are being worked somewhere. I think we're going to see more and more people focusing in on this area and discovering yet other little tweaks and pivots on this same type of exploit path in the future. But I don't think anybody needs to panic. I think just kind of 
make sure you keep your systems patched, apply the patches that people are releasing for various products uh, to address these vulnerabilities, and that should cover you. Um, but like John said, once the microcode fixes come out for the processors themselves, that's really gonna be the ultimate fix. Right now, they're kind of putting some Band-Aids in to prevent this kind of uh, jumping in on the execution path that they're doing with these vulnerabilities right now. The previous fixes for Spectre and Meltdown also address this, so it's really just a matter of uh, updating your processors, getting the latest version, and making sure you're up to date. John, we have some problems with uh, malware on the Android devices, right? Kind of. It's, it's an interesting twist. Um, I think one of the things that we worry about as you know, security professionals is that when you get equipment from the manufacturer, you hope that it's clean. But the problem is, is that you know you're, you're trusting some things may have come out of you know out of the factory. You know, maybe less than desirable. And um, what Avast Labs has identified, actually building on some work by Dr. Webb is they found a whole bunch of Android phones that had pre-installed malware on them. It's fairly significant. It's on thousands of devices, lots of different manufacturers. The, the plus, I guess, side of this is that it's not necessarily devices that are Google certified. So a lot of the, the devices are things that you might find in, in probably more of the third world countries. It's international, not something we see you know, phones here in the U.S., but that doesn't mean they're not available. So I saw a screenshot for this. Does the, the malware launch apps on the Android device? Like it looks like a, a, a game or, or, or something like that, right? Yeah, it, it does. And adware, really adware, mostly yeah. adware, you know, more than anything else. But the payloads can be pre-installing your software. It can be, you know, you know, we know that people click things. <laughs> you know, you get a pop-up. Especially on a brand new device, you're you know says, you know up you know click here to update, but you're probably going to click it. <laughs> right. Is this a reimage your device kind of thing? Well, yeah. That's that's personally my concern is that if I have a device that the factory came infected, if I reimage it, what am I going to reimage it with? Right. Factory settings. So even potentially, if you reinstall the original firmware, you might get the same malware back. I did take a look at this. I was kind of interested in this because they give you a lot of good indicators in this um, write-up. And I downloaded some of the config files and the malware and looked them up on VirusTotal. It was interesting to me that the only people detecting it right now is Avast, who I think is the ones who wrote this article. And uh, so it's very poorly detected. But it is alarming, you know, like John said, that you're getting something factory fresh that has adware on it. Um, yeah. That's a little alarming. It kind of reminds me of uh, back in the day when you would get some, you know, uh, somebody like a PC where you get a lot of that bloatware and other kinds of stuff that you didn't yeah. really want on the machine. Yeah. This is even a little more worse because it's popping up ads that are trying to coerce you into installing additional apps um, onto your device and things of that nature. So that's a little troubling to me as well. Yeah, well, luckily I think in the United States we don't see a whole lot of this. And probably in most of the, you know, the, the first world where, you know, industrial countries, we're probably not gonna see a whole lot, but you get into some of the, the markets that they're looking for, you know, for those, those cheaper phones. I would be a little nervous about some of those, uh, you know, those those name brands, you know, quote unquote, that, that may be out there.
So Google does a certification program. The ones that showed up in this um, report are ones that were not Google certified. So having devices that have gone through that certification process would probably prevent you from getting you know, a device that has this kind of problem right from the manufacturer itself. Well, thanks, John. Did you uh, bring us a quiz today? I did bring a quiz. Uh -huh. so, so basically, it's about, you know, we, we know that the trend is, uh, you know, as we've said, the name vulnerability. So here, here's a quiz to see if you can remember from a description of a vulnerability what the name of that vulnerability actually is. Okay. I think, I think John will be All good right. at this one. I don't know if I will or not, just from hearing a description, but let's go. <laughs> all right. So the first one is this. This one's a, it's fairly new. They're, they're all within the last, you know, three, four, five years. So don't get. I'm not going to dig up stuff, ancient stuff. But um, so here's a vulnerability that the, the the issue leverages the flaws in how handshakes are authenticated. Okay. But letting an attacker eavesdrop on network traffic. Handshakes. Uh, I, I, I give you, I, you need a clue. You want, you want a hint? Well, I mean, how about the matching options? Yeah, I guess a good match. So, so here's the here's the option: Partly. No. Vector. No. Blueborn. Blue no. Crack. Uh, crack. Rohammer. Or crack, wanna crack? Crack sounds right to me. I like that. Sure. Is that correct? Crack is good. All right. So number two: Circumvention of the isolation between memory cells that can result in a privilege escalation. Well, that'd be Rohammer. Boy, you guys got these down pat. John is smoking. <laughs> Told you, John. This is right in John's wheelhouse. All right. Here, here's another one I know John will know. John, you'll know this one real quick. Ransomware crypto worm. Wanna cry. Oh, that's wanna cry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I was listening to what you gave as the other answers, so. Yeah, that was pretty good. All right. So then, uh, okay. Uh, flaws affecting the implementation of Bluetooth with authentication, authorization, and information disclosure issues. I'm going to guess it was blue. What was the yeah, blueborn? Blueborn, yeah. Blueborn yeah. is it? Yeah. All right. And here, here's, here's one, another easy one. Open SSL bug that allows for data leakage. Yeah, that's Heartbleed. Perfect. All right. And then, and then the very last one, and, and, and definitely one that we, we've been paying a lot of attention to lately speculative execution resulting from branch misdirection. Spectre. Oh, right? Spectre, yeah. Spectre. Yep. All right, high five, John. You guys get, I thought I might stump you on a couple yeah, of them. Yeah, well, I guess when, I was nervous when I didn't know what all the options were. Yeah, the first one was probably <laughs> the hardest. Well, thanks, John. All right, good one. Yeah. I always love the Markley quizzes. Oh, definitely. <laughs> hey, Joe, I understand there's a new, possibly state-sponsored family of malware that's impacting a bunch of kind of small home router type devices. Is that right? Yeah. So they're calling it VPN filter. It's a large botnet. It's infected over 500,000 devices in over 54 countries, uh, primarily targeting small and home routers, like you said. So uh, Linksys, Microtik, Netgear, uh, QNAP, and TP-Link NAS devices. Uh, Brian Krebs has a good write-up. He lists out all the exact devices that are vulnerable. So if you're concerned, you know, go to Krebs on security, and he's got a good write-up of exactly the devices to look at. When these routers get compromised, it's really, that's the gateway from anything behind it out to the internet. And if you've compromised it or a bad actor compromises it, 
in theory, they can inspect all the traffic that goes between it. So the FBI actually took down the domain name. So to knowall.com, mm -hmm. um, that was being used for command and control. And you know, it's a little bit of a band-aid to sort of slow this thing down, get after the, the domain. But you know, that should help the spreading of this a little bit. Now, did um, they take over the domain so that they can see the devices that are checking in now and get a better yeah, kind of idea? They seized okay. the domain so they can see what was going to go out to are trying to right, reach out exactly. to it. So they can do a little bit of a, you know, forensic investigation, see right. where understand the size of it better and all right. that stuff, right? Sort of, you know, another case where law enforcement's getting involved, uh, trying to get at the command and control of one of these botnets, trying to do some forensics as to, you know, where devices are being redirected to, what the malware is doing. The question I had is, is, you know, what when we define router, reboot routers, I mean, that's a, you know, there's a lot of things that fall into the router category. Yeah, these are these are small home office devices. These aren't, you know, our rack-sized routers. These are, you know, like home, Soho, home right, office. small yeah, office, Soho, home office right. type yeah. routers. You think about cable companies like the residential gateways, you know, you know, the stuff that we sell. I mean, is that all the things that need to be rebooted, even those, those you know, DSL modems? You know, I mean, there's a lot of lists of things that you know, like I said, Krebs has a list of, you can see exactly which devices are on this vulnerability list, and it's not anything, you know, DSL, you know, server size. So that's, that. like you said, that's a good thing in terms of being able to reboot, because sometimes when a piece of infrastructure is that critical, just jumping it isn't, it's not something you want to do. Uh, on a regular basis, so. Right. But now, yeah, I heard that, you know, there was some speculation that there could be interception of traffic um, once the device is infected and they're using that. Ultimately, what their intent is here, we're not sure, but there is some possible impact with, we saw some devices that had uh, industrial control system stuff behind them, so that would be a little bit concerning. And then the other thing I had read that I thought was interesting is one of the pivot points or the linkage points for whoever's doing this analysis, kind of connecting it to Fancy Bear slash APT28, um, was that there's some code reuse or overlap with Black Energy. Yeah, right. In which, you know, a couple things there, we see reuse of, of these, this malware constantly, right? You know, it's constantly you're reusing pieces, writing variants, but also since it is a, you know, has been attributed to this group that potentially maybe the motivations are similar to what they've, you know, what's been done in the past. So, right, right. Yeah. So yeah, definitely something to be wary of. Yeah. And something to make sure it's not impacting you. Uh, with this particular vulnerability, I, I would also recommend that people go take a look at the report, the write-up. Make sure that if they have one of these types of devices that is mentioned on this report, that they, uh, they do all of those things um, as well. Uh, reflash the firmware, change your passwords, just to be safe. Hey Joe, let's take a look at the internet weather for this past week. And um, no real big surprises. There are a few that we're gonna take a closer look at. Uh, this is the top 10 of the most probed ports Nothing surprising here, Telnet, you've got your Microsoft uh, SQL Server, SSH, uh, Microsoft File Sharing, SMB. This is that Ethereum uh, wallet that has a vulnerability against it. We still uh -huh. see quite a bit of scanning against it, uh, remote desktop protocol. And then this one we'll take a closer look at, which we've talked about over the past couple of weeks, it's the Redis server. We'll okay. talk about why that one's on there. 
Um, ADTCP is web. That tends to be on there as a scanning thing. FTP, we've seen some, some small number of actors um, scanning for FTP and using it to drop malware on anonymous FTP sites. So that's one to look at as well, but we're not going to look at a particular chart on it this week. Uh, most sources probing usually indicates some sort of botnet-related activity because you've got a bunch of devices scanning all at once. Um, again, a lot of cast of characters we've seen before, Microsoft file sharing, mostly associated with those exploits that um, WannaCry and some of these other ones have been using uh, over the past year or so. Telnet, a lot of IoT things going on here. 8080 is an interesting one. We're going to take a closer look at that one. Um, it is an alternate web server port, but we're going to talk about why specifically that. Um, in a little bit. 5555 TCP, we've talked about on the show previously. This is the Android debugger port. Yep. And there's still you know, a decent number of actors out there scanning on it, but I didn't pull a chart up for it again this week. The rest of these are pretty much um, innocuous, except 81 TCP, which is probably related to the go-ahead web server vulnerability. Yeah. Um, there's also a few other types of services running on port 81 TCP that people might be scanning for as well. Uh, the BitTorrent stuff I usually ignore because that's just probably innocuous and the ICMP is probably backscatter. Okay. So let's take a look real quick at Redis, which is port 6379 TCP. We've actually seen, um, this is actually a 10-day moving average to kind of smooth out the chart a little bit, but you can see it's really been going up in terms of the number of scan flows. We had, this is what the noise floor kind of had been, if you even go way back further. But starting around April, early April timeframe, we started to see a real uptick in the amount of scanning activity in general on this port. And um, I'm pretty sure what it's related to is this vulnerability that was announced back in March, which kind of aligns time-wise, uh, which is the Redis WannaMine, which is a crypto jacking uh, type exploit. And what they do is they look for Redis, they compromise those servers, and then they start scanning for more. And there's actually some excerpts here where you see they're running the mass scan tool uh -huh. on that port 6379 at a pretty high rate, 20,000 um, uh, packets per second, I think that is. Uh, so that's one to keep an eye on. If you run Redis, um, you should probably make sure it's secured. The other one that's interesting is this port 8080 TCP. And this is related to that GPON vulnerability, which is a brand of router that's out there. We've talked about it on the show over the past couple of weeks, maybe a month. Um, this is a 30-day uh, chart. And right here around um, May 9th, we went from basically no, not that many people scanning on port 8080 TCP to seeing a lot. So we went yeah. up to about 30,000 or so scan sources per hour. 8080 is normally an alternate web port, you know, alternate from port 80. And actually in the scanning today, we saw that there was more scanning happening on 8080 than on port 80, which, you know, it's a it's a definitely a new trend, definitely something going on there. At Lab 360, they actually did a really good write-up on this. There's many multiple botnets um, using this, okay. Hajime, Satori, Satori, Mirai, Moustic, and Metal. So when we look in our honeypot, we basically have some things looking to see if anybody tries to scan on these ports. We collect whatever they try to do. And you can see this is the exploit for the GPON um, vulnerability. And they're trying to basically pass in on these parameters here, telling it to do something instead of, so that in the dest host field, they're passing in commands. And they basically send you a wget command to go fetch this file called r, mm -hmm. and then save it to a file called slash temp slash r, and then they try to run it. 
Um, so I was kind of curious. I was like, well, what is this that they're actually trying to send? So I took a closer look and fetched it. So this R file, what it does is um, it has a list of different architectures. And this is really common technique where these malware authors, because they're on Linux-based devices, they're not always really sure what uh, processor architecture they're on. So they have binaries compiled for all the different ones. And what they do is, basically what he's doing here, if you look in here, is he goes and fetches each one of them and then tries to execute. MIPS, MIPSL, you know, with these dollar sign A is he replacing MIPS, MIPSL, ARM, ARM7. Whichever one actually works for that particular architecture of this device yeah. is the one that will run. Others just don't execute. They don't crash the device, they just don't execute. Um, so he gets, he doesn't have to check. He just tries them all and whichever one actually executes works. So I fetched the MIPS one, uh, which is probably the most common uh, architecture and um, ran that against uh, VirusTotal to see what is this, and it does show up as a GMA for most of these guys here. So I thought that was interesting that we can kind of correlate that this scanning activity that we're seeing here is related yeah. to Hajime, which is what they, you know, they specifically call that out right. as one of the people, uh, one of the uh, botnets that are using uh, the GPON vulnerability here to, to you know, recruit into their botnet. So um, that's basically all we really had that I thought was interesting this week in the internet weather, things that people probably should be paying attention to that's different than the norm. And, you know, kind of an interesting thread that we can pull traffic out of our honeypot and show exactly how it maps to one of these more popular botnets. The views expressed on AT&T ThreatTrack are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views of AT&T or any other person or entity.